This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of WrestleNomics Radio. I'm Brandon Thurston, broadcasting on demand from Buffalo, New York, where today is Sunday, September 19th, 2021. And today on the program, we have, of course, TV ratings to talk about. Big E cash in the money in the bank. It popped a big number in the last quarter hour. Brock Lesnar popped a big number at Madison Square Garden. More on everything that happened at Madison Square Garden uh, for SmackDown. Rampage is going to be two hours next week. Uh, NXT 2.0 was introduced. Plus, Andrew Yang was on Twitter again. All that and more today. But first... Yes, uh, I am Chris Galova. Uh, I missed the signal, didn't I? There was no signal. You just jump in. I'll, I'm going to go like this All right. with, with my fingers at, at my camera. That means it's time for you to start talking. We're getting used to this me talk first thing, uh, everyone. But yes, uh, it was a very interesting week in the uh, business of professional wrestling, but um, I think we'll get started with some good news for the future of this business as far as streaming. I, uh, as I, I discussed, people might have heard me discuss it on Thursday. The WrestleMonic supercomputer is alive and well. We are streaming from it right now, in, in fact. It is, uh, I mounted the, the motherboard onto the case incorrectly which is which can prevent a computer from booting up apparently i put one of the risers on wrong or something and so it wasn't uh booting up so i took it to this guy uh in north buffalo and he took everything apart or something and then put it back together and and realized that was the problem so it's working now this is a pretty fast computer this is better than what i'm used to we're giving it a real test right now on an unlisted stream because what usually happens I'm usually able to stream by myself without much of a problem, but when we add another person's video stream into this, then it gets really heavy. But hopefully this is holding up, um, because we're practicing it right now on an unlisted YouTube stream. But yeah, I'm, uh, I've had to reinstall everything on a new computer, and I'm now using OneDrive. I think because you know, here at WrestleMonics headquarters, we have uh, Microsoft 365. I think part of that is they gave me a terabyte of OneDrive space. So I'm finally using the OneDrive space because I still have to use this, use this laptop um, in other situations, let's say. And uh, I need everything across both machines. So I'm figuring out how to use OneDrive. It's exciting stuff. But, uh, but really, I'm able to do this, set up this computer here that I have to my left now because of uh, the supporters and, and subscribers uh, on WrestleNomics. Uh, WrestleNomics Patreon, patreon.com slash WrestleNomics, which you can sign up for for just $5 a month to get access to all sorts of TV ratings reports and data. All right. Uh, we're going to move on, get into the Gullo report a little early here. Sure. Start we, and we'll right probably, with the ratings. We'll probably bounce around as we go through each show here and then return to this slide. But, yeah. Um, we'll start with this past Friday SmackDown. Uh, your projection based on, based on preliminary <laughs> info looks like $2.3 uh, which is not too... Uh, Short of uh, last week's uh, rating of 2.38, uh, 0.64 and 18 to 49 is what you're projecting compared to the 0.65 the week before. So 
Uh, pretty two solid uh, weeks in a row, it looks like, for SmackDown. Yes. SmackDown reigns have been very good lately. Um, what can you say? They're doing much better than they were last year in the, in the non-fan environment. Since the return of touring, I think that's the big headline. They have a legitimate good story to tell here about TV ratings for both Raw and SmackDown. Um, <clears throat> holding up really well here. I mean, last week, um, we can go to, to this, uh, which some of this I, I know I've talked about on Thursday, but we'll do a, a different version of it and a more condensed version in some things. Um, <clears throat> this was their highest viewership since January last week, Friday. Um, this, this week could be on par with that. I think it's going to be slightly down as Golo just said. Um, so this week, I don't know off the top of my head where, where SmackDown, this was in Knoxville, in fact, because they had Glenn come out, uh, and, and do some things. So anyway, but, but last week was in Madison Square Garden. Of course, that's New York City. Uh, there was a reception for, uh, investors slash financial types, analysts, and things like that. Um, I've talked to multiple people who were present for that. Um, and, uh, one of, one of the interesting things sort of coming out of that was this, uh, this notion that, that many people heard, uh, W executives present that, um, just in response to questions, but in response to questions about, you know, AW nearing, uh, Raw in 1849, uh, W executives really did say, I joked about this last week because I was starting to hear about, it, but this is really the response is that the best comparison to make is, is not, you know, Wednesday and Monday. Those are different nights. As we, you know, it's right up, right on with uh, what people are saying in, in the replies on Twitter. Those are different nights, but Friday, get SmackDown on Friday. We got Rampage on Friday. That's the one that you should compare. Is is the SmackDown on Fox from eight to ten to the Rampage at ten on TNT? Um, I wouldn't be surprised if we hear this around Halloween that for the um, the earnings call as well. If, if if there are any AEW questions, which is not their focus as much as it is. The wrestling fans focus and maybe our focus, but anyway. Yeah. I mean, and, and you know, this, this, you know, the SmackDown before, uh, in New York, you know, obviously you had Brock Lesnar, you had Trey Young from the Atlanta Hawks. You had a little bit of star power. Um, I mean, obviously you mentioned the, the mayor, uh, was, was there in Knoxville, but, uh, uh, kind of just kind of riding a wave. It looks like of really SummerSlam. It just seems to be excitement after SummerSlam with Becky and Brock. Yeah, it's it's a return of stars, and it's the the return of fans that has really had a sustained improvement uh, to their ratings, more so than I expected. And uh, it it helps to have, certainly, it helps to have Becky Lynch back and Brock Lesnar back. Uh, Brock Lesnar will be uh he'll be gone again before long, and I I wonder what what Becky Becky Lynch's deal is too, if she's really going to be full time year round. Um, or if she might come in and out, but we'll see. Um, well, we'll talk about the uh, other program that was on Friday night, but this is the September 10th rating for AEW Rampage, uh, and that did about 670,000 and a .27 in the 18 to 49. Um, if you look at the week before, that did 700,000 and a .30, and that was the one in Cincinnati, which had a nice little hometown uh, finish with uh, John Moxley and Brian Pillman Jr. Mm-hmm. Yes. So you can see the, the comparison that I think WWE management is suggesting that you make is that, you know, look, we're doing more than three times what their viewership is. And uh, in, in the demo, in the demo, doing more than double. I will say this most recent Rampage, um, 
we don't know any, anything about what the number is going to be. We'll find out on on Monday what the final is, both for SmackDown and Rampage. Um, I did watch, I think, all of the Rampage this past Friday, and it, it was the, the show that felt most like a B show um, to this point, in my view. Um, it'll, I'm sure it'll be different this coming week. It's a two-hour episode, and it's going to be a tape show, but but at Arthur Ashe Stadium, they have a lot of matches to... Um, they're building it up kind of like a pay-per-view in terms of what the what the the quality of the card is. So um, it, maybe it's just maybe it's justifiable. Maybe you, ha- you have to do some low points and some high points. But um, this notion that that rampage is is not going to be a B show, um, you know, I, I didn't feel great about that uh, after watching the show on Friday. It felt like a B show more so than than any of the others. Um, kind of want to keep it uh, about Rampage here, kind of as we're jumping around. Uh, it's going to be a two-hour edition uh, this coming uh, mm-hmm. Friday. It will be taped that Wednesday uh, at Arthur Ashe, I believe so. But uh, you'll have a two-hour. Uh, and I, and CM Punk, I believe, has a match on the show. So with that, He's wrestling two Will Hobbs. hours, yep. CM Punk versus Will Hobbs, um, that atmosphere of the Arthur Ashe, which I imagine will be really awesome. Uh, what are your, what are your thoughts on how this is going to perform? Um, I think Dynamite's going to beat, uh, Raw in the demo again. <clears throat> I know we haven't mentioned the, the Raw number yet, but we can put up on the screen that no one is watching. Uh, Raw, Raw did a .43 and, and Dynamite did a .44. Um, I think, I think Dynamite's going to beat, um, Raw in the demo, not total viewership. Uh, Rampage. I would guess my, my old reliable, uh, math is to, is to say 20% if we do that. Uh, I think the number for that we're going to learn on Monday is going to be maybe lower than this one. This 670, this is, this pro, pro, which was the lowest rampage yet. I, I'm, I would lean towards guessing we're going to see an even lower point, probably still in the 600s, but, but lower than the 670. Um, so let's say 670 is, is, is down to like 95% of that, which would be 636 and a half. So let's say it's going to be 20% higher. Um, 730, 763. I, I, I think it's, I think that's too low. Maybe well, well, it really depends on what the, the feeling is going out, coming out of dynamite. If dynamite is this really strong show, I would think, you know, and it's, and it's doing a little bit of a hype towards what's whatever's on, on rampage. I think that enhances this rating. If Dynamite is really disappointing, I think it, you know, it hurts this rating. Uh, but it's definitely going to be up from whatever this Friday is and whatever, la- and what last Friday was, which was 670 and 0.27 in the demo. Uh, I, I imagine they cross 0.30 for sure, but we'll see. All right. Uh, moving, uh, back to the report here and we'll talk about Raw, uh, this past Monday, uh, 0.167 P2, and as you mentioned, a 0.43 in the 18 to 49. Compare that to the week before where they did 1.85 with a 0.52 in the 18 to 49. They've gone down. And on top of that, that week, they, or that day on Twitter, on social media, they teased, well, they didn't tease, they said Big E will be, uh, cashing in the money in the bank that night for a shot. And, uh, not, probably not the results they thought with that. Nah, I mean, I don't look at this number as, as a huge disappointment. It's, it's low. It's up, but you expect that when you're going against Monday Night Football for the first time. Yeah, that is true. The, the demo took a pretty hard hit. The demo was down 22% versus the mean in the last four weeks. And that's, that's a bigger hit than it had taken in the years prior. Um, so the demo being that much down was, was bigger than usual. 
bigger than would be expected. But it's, this isn't like, oh my God, what's going to happen? But it is telling me, I think AEW is going to be higher in the demo again this year or this, this week. But this is roughly what you would expect. And I think they, who knows how much what AEW is doing played into this decision to, uh, put the title on, on, on Big E on this show. I think he was going to win the title regardless because he won Money in the Bank, but to do it on this show, the first week against Monday Night Football, uh, maybe when it's also welcoming some uh, comparisons with AEW, uh, maybe they felt especially, especially they had pressure to, to put on something that people would be eager to watch. Um, the final quarter was well in excess of 1.8 million viewers, though, uh, which is when Big E won the title. Um, had the quarter hours that are, that are on Twitter and on Patreon. Um, so yeah. Um, we've passed SmackDown here, but I can tell you too, and I don't think this has been reported elsewhere yet. Um, if I look here, SmackDown, I mean, this isn't like shocking news to anybody, but SmackDown's gonna be preempted, as it is every October, to FS1 for, uh, um, baseball playoffs. October 15th and October 29th is what I've been told. Um, I don't know if that's also easy, easily information that's easily accessible elsewhere, but I, I hadn't looked hard yet, but that's, that's, you know, the middle of October and then the end of October for, I think it's the you know, divisional playoffs and then the world series late in October. So we'll have a couple of weeks there where SmackDown will do about half of the viewership because it'll be moved to cable and it'll be moved to just it's an unusual network. Um, just to put in perspective, so Monday Night Football, not only were they competing against it on one network, but it aired on four networks. Four? Uh, I thought just three. One. Yes. Well, ESPN, ABC, ESPN2, and ESPN Deportes, if you count that. Okay. Um, Spanish language. So, yeah. Uh, overall, 15.29 million viewers across the, uh, the, the four. So really, I mean, it, it was it, there was no fight there. <laughs> I'm I'm gonna open the viewership spreadsheet to really see how how much this stream can can take, um, and just look at the uh, the Monday Night Football tab. Um, but yeah, Monday Night Football, fifteen point three million viewers. So if if we're just looking at week ones, that was more highly viewed than any of the week ones since at least 2015. Um, but uh, you know the the comparisons that we're comparing that with. We're not simulcast on ABC, but yeah. Did you watch um, any of the, the the Peyton Manning thing on ESPN two? Um, I, I I did not, but uh, I, I heard people enjoyed it. The Manning and Mannings. It was both Mannings uh, being involved. Uh, um, I, I I heard good things about it. They're very likable. Uh, the Mannings, yes, personalities. I I, th- I have a great idea here. So. NBC Universal and Fox, for that matter, have all these networks, you know, the family of networks, not just one network. But what if they took, you know, let's say you got SmackDown going and uh, you, you air the traditional broadcast of SmackDown on Fox, on broadcast, your wide coverage. And then, you know, what's FS1 playing on, on Friday night at 8? Probably not anything that valuable, that important, that's driving viewership. What you do is you point, take a camera, you point it at Gorilla and just watch Vince produce this program on FS1. I would be entertained by that, at least for a few weeks. Um, do you, you know, with the competition money at football, do you think it was maybe too early to do this biggie move? Um, obviously there's going to be interest in it. I'm happy f- for it. Just on a personal note, I've always been a biggie fan mm-hmm. and, uh, I think this is a long time coming. Um, but, uh, you think they kind of threw this away on this one, you know, as far as all, if when it, a, a show they knew they weren't going to do that great. No, I think this is fine. This, if, if, uh, 
I think it's, it's, they needed something big to go against Monday Night Football. Sure. Um, I think as, as far as Big E winning the title, I think it's, this is, you know, a, a window on Big E that would have been optimal some five years ago. Um, I think he's somebody who should have been pushed a long time ago and should have been built up to, to win the title. Maybe I know there's a lot of others who could compete for that spot, but this is a good example of some of the problems with, with WWE where you can have this big moment. And much of the responses is what I just heard you say, call that everybody likes this guy. He's a great guy and everybody's really happy for him, which I think sort of obfuscates the example of here's an, a, a somebody who could have been built up and could have climbed a hierarchy that, by the way, doesn't really exist in, in W's creative environment, who could have climbed a hierarchy and finally been coronated as, as, a, as a champion and as a star. But, um, you know, but he wasn't because it's really hard to, to for W apparently for some reason to plan and execute long term storylines. And I think the money in the bank device itself is is something that I think like Joe Lanza said this earlier on this uh, this podcast network. It's 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 a device that it attracts many of their worst creative habits in terms of not not making long term plans, not building up things to happen before they happen. I think it makes the title less valuable too in terms of it. it more so makes wrestling and makes this whatever the game is in WWE. I know they're not a wrestling company, but whatever the game is in WWE, it's, it's less so about who's the best wrestler or competitor and more so just this sort of weird game of strategy rather than like who's the valuable best wrestler who's got this title. It makes the title in my view. And I think economically significantly, uh, it makes the title more of it just this sort of MacGuffin rather than this meaningful symbol. All right, uh, we will uh, move on to NXT and the ratings. This was an interesting fun because it was the beginning of NXT 2.0. Yes. Uh, did uh, 770,000 P2 plus with a point two one in 1849. If you compare that to the week before, uh, um, you know, the last of the traditional NXT, I guess you could say, uh, 600,000 in the P2 plus with point one four in the 1849. So obviously the general, the interest in how this was going to look how the set was going to be, what was going to be the talent and all that was definitely there for an increase for him. Yeah. This, this did a really good rating as far as of, of the, what we, what do we have here? The one, two, three, four, five, six. Yeah. There's six weekly in ring wrestling programs here. The number that this did was the most positive relative to the last four weeks of any of these programs. Um, this was a really high rating and there was clearly significant interest uh, about what this was going to look like. So people watch it. I haven't seen quarter hours. Um, I was curious to see quarter hours, but I couldn't, couldn't find them. Uh, so, but this, this did a really good number. Now, to what degree are people going to continue to tune in is, is a big question. Uh, I think there's some morbid curiosity here too, as far as I think there's a, a type of fan. I don't, can't tell you how significant they are, but so there's some, t- there's a type of fan that, uh, that came to know NXT as this strong alternative wrestling brand and are now worried about how it's going to turn out. Um, so the question is, how did they feel about what they saw on Wednesday night? Are they going to tune in next week to see what else is going on? Because I think some of the curiosity was not just about excitement and positive feelings, but about what are they going to do to this brand that I've grown an affinity for, or maybe lost some of my affinity for over the last year or two, but I've grown an affinity for it and it's become a meaningful, valuable brand in my, in my eyes. Uh, so what's it going to be like going forward? Um, does 
the change from Triple H's NXT, which, by the way, I don't, I'm curious to see how this plays out politically as far as is, is Triple H really going to be the, the, the driving creative force in this brand moving forward? Or is it going to be Bruce Pritchard or someone else? That's totally unclear to me. And obviously, Paul Levesque, Triple H, just had a, a medical issue as far as he had a, some sort of heart issue that they put a, a press release out about. So he's recovering from that. Uh, I think Melter reported you can that the talent is allowed to call Triple H, but not to talk about business. They can only wish him well. <laughs> so call him, but don't don't talk about business. Um, but yeah, our I is this going to be a program now with its colors and its tall people and its different direction that people are going to continue to want to watch, or is um is it by becoming something that's more about being developmental? than it is about putting on somebody's notion of great wrestling. Um, is that going to mean that the content isn't as attractive to viewers on the widest scale? Um, I guess my view is the wrestling fan who loved NXT for being this great wrestling brand with great matches or great stories or whatever. Um, I think the, there's a wide audience that will is sort of not discerning of that. There will be some people, though, who, you know, see this kind of for what it is or for whatever it actually becomes and, and tunes it out. Um, so I guess I think this is still going to do an audience, um, but I don't see it doing better viewership than it had been doing over the last few months, which was disappointing because they hadn't they haven't had an AEW to, to go against yet. Viewership has been lower. Um, I think that's because the product had not been that good. And, and I think. Triple H wished him well on his health, but I think he had become burnt out as a booker or maybe he had become, maybe there had become, you know, too many chefs in the kitchen or something was happening there that was resulting in a product that was not as good and it did not attract an audience as well. Um, I don't see this creative vision as a enhancement, but maybe it serves their purposes better as far as developing talent that Vince will actually like. Uh, I guess there's that. Um, there are larger issues though, notwithstanding. Uh, I want to bring up a couple things with this and your thoughts on it. Uh, first off, I think the vibe and the feel of it was very late eighties, early nineties, as far as the set and the colors and, you know, the big guys and that. So part of me was like, oh, maybe they're just go. Yeah. Part of me is maybe they're just going all in on this 50 plus, uh, (laughs) you know, P2, I mean, the 50 plus, uh, demographic, but then. Like, you got three second-generation wrestlers debut, and you don't mention a single one of their real last name as far as, or at least the last name of their fathers, uh, which I found very interesting. Um, But then you got a character named Tony D'Angelo has a vignette, who was uh, amateur wrestler UB, apparently. Oh, really? <laughs> um, uh, University of Buffalo, that's what he said in the vignette. I, have to, I haven't really looked deep, deep down in it, but... uh. And he said, it was, he said University of Buffalo? U- University of Buffalo. Wow. Yeah, and I realized there was no money in amateur wrestling. And being from a family of business, he mentioned that the business was waste management and other oh. <laughs> waste management and restaurants and, and all that. Um, Sopranos people char- coming out, by the way. Oh, go ahead. I had a character very similar to Tony uh, D'Angelo. I was a man by the name of Tony Vanzetti when I first started on the independence as a manager. And I retired that character because I'm like, this character doesn't fly anymore in this modern day world. <laughs> and here we are. 
in 2021, the, uh, coming the, to NXT. The Italian American, uh, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> cultural association, uh, is going to, uh, come after you. Um, Sopranos prequel coming out, by the way. Have you yeah. seen that? Uh, I've, I, I've seen the previews for it. Also, too, uh, that Netflix untold about the minor league hockey team that had a lot of mob and mafia ties is getting a lot of buzz as well. The, you laugh, you, you laugh, but it's all over social media. There was this, this guy who was, you know, a mafia guy who owned a waste management business, bought his 17 year old son a minor league hockey team. And they went and got like fighters and just like guys, like they literally sent the one guy out of prison. Um, and for two seasons, they like took this minor league by storm, uh, rowdy crowd, rowdy fans, all that. And, uh, where was then this? It ended because, um, this was in, it was in Connecticut. It was in Danbury, Connecticut. And then, uh, this, this all ended because, uh, the, the father of the son who really owned the team, uh, went to jail for, you know, almost a decade. Okay. Um, what was I going to say? Speaking of which, speaking of mafia ties, I, uh, for some reason, this, this, uh, week earlier, I, I started Googling, uh, about Buffalo area, uh, mafia ties and things like that. And like, what's the history of the, of the mob in, in the bu- local Buffalo area? Um, now it's totally unrelated to that. Have you ever had Lenovo pizza? Yes, and I know where you're going with this. <laughs> no, 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 no. I know nothing about this. But for some reason, I just thought of Lenovo Pizza. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Um, so anyway. Uh, but about... Um, I know people are talking about uh, the, the Rick Steiner son, whatever they renamed him to on short short order. It's almost as if WB and the, like there's this Vince-driven motivation to make things more difficult for themselves, even though they know it's going to be more difficult. It's like, we can't just have them use, use the Rex Steiner name, which is what his name was going to be at least for a, a minute. And what did they, Braun Breaker, Braun, Braun, B-R-O-N Breaker. Now he had a singlet, a Rick Steiner singlet, like Rick Steiner style singlet he wore. So like, it kills me. Like you're going to dress him up like his dad, but you're not going to mention his dad or say he's a Steiner. Well, I mean, they, they named Charlotte just Charlotte for years before they put Charlotte Flair on her name. I don't know. I bet it'll be Braun Steiner in like two years or just Braun, maybe one or the other. Um, but yeah, I, I just think there's all these instances where I mean, like, I think three hour raw is, is, has been described that way. And maybe that's what's making me think of this in that. And obviously having a third hour of raw has a direct effect on revenue positively. Um, but I, it's, it's as if there's a Vince vision that doesn't want things to be too easy. That doesn't want to accentuate the positives and hide the negatives. It's like, we have to see if they can sink or swim in the jungle and survive. It's, it's almost like metaphorical or poetic. Like he wants, he loves the second generation wrestlers who, you know, were are, are the descendants of, of people from the past. And then he doesn't want to necessarily help people succeed as much as like, see if they can do it on their own in this sort of ethical, egoist, libertarian way. It's, 
it's an amazing thing to just observe over the years here in wrestling. It's one of the things that, you know, if you watch the sort of the story around wrestling rather than the stories that are on wrestling TV that are just so fascinating, like what is this man doing? He, you could, you could make this, this kid, you know, into more of a star this way, but it seems as if we want to see what he can do or, or I'm sure maybe it's just a matter of somebody like Bruce, Bruce Pritchard saying, well, we don't want him to have to, you can imagine the mental gymnastics of, well, well, then he's going to be, everybody's going to be thinking about his dad instead of him and the, and it makes kind of logical sense when you put it that way. But wrestling, one of the things that I'm starting to re- realize, or maybe a good way to explain it, is, yeah, logic is super important. And logic, to an extent, matters to an audience. Uh, but the, the Venn diagram of logic and emotion is not, is not, a, is not a perfect circle. It's, there's an overlap there in terms of there are things that matter to logic that matter to people's emotions as an audience. Um, but there, but there, but it's a, it's, it's just an overlap. It's not a complete overlap. Um, and there's what I see a lot of times in wrestling and people doing mental gymnastics is where somebody uses logic in a perfectly sound way, but in doing so, uh, makes something less over and less able to succeed, you know, because they they can come up with an argument that, Hey, well, we can't, I don't want to make him Rex Steiner because everybody's going to think of Rick Steiner and then, Hey, we can't, we don't want to put that on him, but that's a stupid idea. You should make him Rex Steiner because it'll make him more of a star, more marketable. But anyway. Well, I just kind of want to add on to that. Um, so do you, do you think that Vince's, you know, way of thinking and I, I is, is that if it works once, everybody should be able to do it. And if you don't do it, it's your fault. And I mean by that is I think Roman Reigns is a gold standard. They didn't say they didn't give him a last name of Onaway and all that. They called him Roman Reigns, but he's a very rarity compared to you look at people like M- M- Manu, Jesse. Uh, if you know, from Jesse and Festus, um, Curtis Axel, guys that really didn't use their fathers, like, la- or, you know, last names and weren't, and really, I mean, Curtis Axel had a long career, but let's just, he wasn't a giant, a big star. He just wasn't, um, you know, is it just Vince like, oh, well, it worked once. It should always work. If it doesn't, it's your fault. Do you think that's how he thinks? Cause I, that's all I'm thinking. If I were to psychoanalyze, I think. It maybe it's related to some of the reasons why we've heard that Vince had to, had, has to call Rey Mysterio Rey Mysterio, not Rey Mysterio Jr. He doesn't like this Jr. thing. And people called him Jr. because of, of Vince, quote unquote, Sr., even though they have different middle names. So they're not exact, not legally Sr. and Jr. I think there's, there's a, 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 a layered relationship he has with generational success or generational, uh, jobs. In that, I don't know, he likes it when people are second generation, but he doesn't want you to necessarily take everything from your dad. You have to work for it yourself. I think there's something, something like that happening. Yeah. Because he's always made the deal that he's VKM and not, yeah. you know, it's in J. Yeah, that's. It's in your genetics. But nothing's handed to you. You earn everything. Um, you know, I had this conversation with a friend uh, about this, and the one that the only one that really got me was the Braun Breaker Rex Steiner thing, because I just think that's a given, especially you put him out there in a singlet very similar to what his dad would wear. But I didn't hate changing Wayne Bloom's kid's last, like his name, or even changing the name of Bull Buchanan's kid, because it's not like they were like earth shattering stars. And I, 
I, I can understand the thought behind that. And my friend said, no, it's all stupid. They own the tape libraries to all these guys footage. It's, it's just a given. Like you have tape footage of Bull Cannon, anything significant he did in a career. You have tape footage of everything Wayne Bloom did significant in his career. Like why not use that to your advantage? By then, yeah, I think it's, it's for the reasons I, I, I just mentioned and people trying to serve his interests. That, that is Vince's, Vince's proclivities. Which is he likes it that like you're you're gene- genetic, genetically you know whatever, and then and and there's something about the genetically superior phrase that they would have Charlotte use, and the genetic jackhammer. He likes it. There's like some sort of like Darwinian handing it down through the generations that he loves. But he also is a huge libertarian and doesn't want anybody to have anything handed to them, and believes that you have to manifest everything through your own free will and hard work. Um which is kind of the, the story and confusion of his life as somebody who is the descendant of a, of a very successful wrestling promoter, but grew up in a trailer park. And he would like a version of, of his life story to be told that, you know, he, he emerged from a trailer park, had nothing and worked for all of it. Um, and let's forget the fact that he had the opportunity to be that wrestling promoter handed to him by his dad. He wants you to remember that there was a balloon loan payment, you know, that he had to, had to um, pay back. So he bought the territory. He didn't have it handed to him. Um, even though, you know, to be in the position that he was in was only because, and, 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 and yeah, he, he had to, had to not be a fuck up to, to let, let his dad give him that opportunity. But, uh, he doesn't get that opportunity if his dad's not his dad. Um, well, uh, we'll, we'll move on to AEW and then maybe you want to circle back to the other stuff we have as far as WWE talent. All right, we'll, 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 we'll move on to AEW Dynamite, which on September 15th, another really nice rating, 1.18 million with a 0.44 and 18 to 49, uh, compared to the week before with 1.32 with a 0.52. So a drop, but still staying, staying over that, uh, that million hump and, and impressively doing it. And, uh, if you look at the, uh, 18 to 49, beating out raw, beating out raw. Why do you have to say beating out raw, Chris Colo? I do, do you say, Every other week that Raw is beating AEW? No, you don't. No, I don't. But the reason why I do is, is this 18 to 49 demographic is very important. And it's, I'm, I'm excited to see the journey to the next TV rights deal for both of these programs to see how far off they are in, 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 in uh, deals. And by, by the hour two. Uh, WWE will, will continue to get more U.S. core content rights revenue than WWE, I think, for a long time. Um, something I, I think I meant to discuss earlier when we were talking about Rampage being two hours. I think, I mean, I, I, I don't know what AEW's goals are or strategy is, but um, I have to think that the strategy eventually is to make Rampage into a two-hour show. And maybe this coming Friday is just an, the, the first experiment in seeing how that would go. Um, it's going to be from 10 to midnight. Um, as, as I was speculating last Thursday, though, I wonder what, what's, what delivers them a, a, a better rating uh, if, if, if they were a two-hour program, let's imagine. Uh, 10 to midnight, where you're going later into the night and people are dropping off to go to sleep because sleep is our competition, or running from 9 to well, 11, yes, 9 to 11 where you're running one hour against SmackDown. And as I said, you know, that, that will make 
our job here more interesting and it will light the internet on fire. Uh, but I, I, I think it's, it's not clear to me which, which way Rampage does better ratings. And I tend, tend to think, and maybe it's just because it would make things more fun for us, but I tend to think running from nine to 11 would, would do a better rating for them, even though you're going against a strong SmackDown program that's doing well over 2 million viewers right now. Um, the Friday Night Wars would be, I think maybe the Friday Night Wars in itself would, would drum up interest. If they, if they do expand to two hours, do you think it's something that they save for TBS, the move to TBS next year? I don't see it happening before the end of the year. Yeah. And, and if, if nothing else, I mean, it, it may, may not even be within this contract term. It may, may not be until, um, 2025 when their current deal is up could be, yeah, but I think it's something to put on the table to say, Hey, look, we, we're, we signed a deal in January, 2020. That was for three hours, even though we only started to produce that third hour very recently, but it was for three hours of weekly content. And maybe it's something that you negotiate in a, in a future deal to say, all right, we're doing three hours and you're willing to pay us X for, for three hours. Well, what if we gave you a fourth, a fourth hour, and then you give us a little bit more for that. You know, it's another way to generate additional revenue there's a live event component to that that makes it difficult though. Like, do you want to be trying to tape four hours of TV weekly with one event or are you popular enough at that point and, and uh, attractive enough as a live event that you can actually run two tapings per week with all the expense that's in- involved in that? Uh, we're talking about an additional half a million dollars in weekly expense. If you're going to run an additional big TV production at, a, at an arena. Um, so those are all things that they have to weigh and but but if if the money is there from a TV from a TV network to pay for an additional hour of content in to the to the tune of, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars, then it's probably worth it. All right. Uh talk about the impact rating here uh for Thursday, September 16th, uh 105,000 uh, with the 0.02 and 18 to 49 compared to the week before with 110,000 P2 plus with a 0.03 and 18 to 49. So a little bit of a drop here for impact. Um, and then uh, we had the debut of the ha- uh, second half of season three for dark side of the ring in the hobby. It's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey junior rookie card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy Slab Packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club Slab Pack, and, and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous round bag of cards and yeah you can open it and look it's going to be junk you're you you know what i mean like you know what you're probably going to get in those maybe you find that fun and sometimes i do sometimes i like just opening up cards and saying hey look at some random cards whatever but if you're really in this game to to find value and find particular cards it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs and it ends up being you know almost nothing you know nothing of value not with arena club you can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading, so you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. 
But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your pulls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, sending these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net for 10% off your first purchase on Arena Club. And we thank them for sponsoring the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. Doing a uh, 153,000 P2 plus with a 0.07 in the 18 to 49. Um, you do have a comparison to the finale of the first half of the season, which did 240,000 with a 0.11. So uh, not as impressive rating as where they ended the first half of the season, but uh, the backlash of this episode has uh, probably affected the business more than any other episode of Dark Side of the Ring Yeah, and, in, and it, in modern context. Yeah. yeah. But r- real quick about the rating. Um, for Impact, this is not a good rating. They're, the second half of their show was going against Dark Side, and it seems when they go against Dark Side, I haven't sat down and tried to do math on this, but it seems when they go against Dark Side, there is, there is a negative effect. Uh, not a great rating for a Dark Side episode either. It was by a slim margin the lowest the least viewed live to same day rating they've done yet. Um, all that said, they were going against Thursday night football, which was not on ESPN, but it was on the NFL network. And that did, I think it was 7.7 million viewers. Um, so that's, that, that, that's a big rating, right? Um, for TV in general, I don't know about the NFL Thursday night in particular, but that's, that's real competition that they were going against, especially for probably a similar demographic, uh, that they're, that they're trying to attract. Um, but yes, this plane ride from hell episode immediately resulted in, uh, what is it? Car Shield suspending their sponsorship of the Ric Flair commercials and an immediate suspension, uh, of Tommy Dreamer from Impact. And Tommy Dreamer is not only a performer for Impact, but is a member of their creative team as well. Uh, Tommy Dreamer just inexplicably, uh, defending Ric Flair, you know, who is, you know, alleged by, um, what is her name? The, the flight attendant Doyle. Is it Bonnie Doyle? Um, Hi, Heidi Doyle, Heidi Doyle, who's uh, alleged uh, to have cornered, uh, been cornered in the, in the airplane by Ric Flair, trying to get her, trying to get her to touch him uh, while he's wearing nothing but uh, a robe. Um, so, and, and, and Tommy dreamers, I've, I've watched the episode. Have you watched the episode? I have, um, and a follow with, uh, social media backlash, not on both those individuals, but as well as Scott Hall and, uh, Brock Lesnar and D- Dustin Rhodes to a certain extent as well. Terry Reynolds says in the documentary that, um, she was sexually harassed. I forget, forget what the details are by Brock Lesnar on an earlier show. He has exposed himself to her or something on a show around that time. This is May 2002 is when the uh, plane ride from hell happens, which is a, if people don't know, it's a, it's a flight. F- 
coming back home from a European tour that they chartered a plane. Um, JR is, is talking head throughout this, uh, as the person who's basically supervising this, he takes a lot of the responsibility. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, just incredibly stupid on the part of Tommy Dreamer to, I just, he had nothing to gain by, by doing what he did in, in that documentary. It's just, it's mind blowing. Uh, not only, I mean, you know, to be defending, uh, you know, somebody's alleged sexual assault. All right. Uh, and then, uh, real quick, cause I was bringing up, uh, heels. Yes. Uh, the, yes, uh, the, the, the heels rating. Are you still uh, watching heels? Did I am still watching heels? Yes. Uh, they did 79,000 uh, for the live air with 1849 of 27,000 on that. So 0.02, uh, in the demo. Um, but, uh, Overall, it looks to be, you said measuring here at about 584,000, um, for the, uh, obviously the DVR runs and the reruns and all that. So, um, not a, not always, not never an impressive first, uh, airing, but usually it does well in the, uh, DVRs and reruns. But yeah, I am watching it. It's, uh, it's, it's getting interesting. It's getting real interesting, uh, as far as a storyline perspective. We're on episode five, right? Yes, yeah. Um, so. The ratings are... The third episode did pretty low, which is welcoming a lot of... Uh, or inviting a lot of um, quote tweets about how CM Punk is not a draw because that's the first episode with CM Punk. Is that the only episode with CM Punk? Yes. Because oh, he's only in one episode. Ricky Rabies, yep. He, he was a, he was a one-shot to pop the territory. He was an old... Uh, he's a name. That, that, that's Yeah, he was... Yes, he was a... An old name of the, 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 the Duffy, uh, wrestling league, the DWL, uh, to pop. He did. He's like, thanks for the crowd, Ricky. Like he was, he did it to pop a crowd. Um, yeah, a lot, a lot of this is, is happening through DVR, uh, which is where the comparisons from other stars programs go away because I don't have, I don't have data related to the, so I've got replay viewership. I've got DVR viewership of the, of the original airing. And then I've got the DVR viewership of the reruns. And that's all rolling in on a long delay because this is DVR plus seven. Um, and then it takes time to get that data. So th- this is something that we could talk about with more clarity, like when we're late in the season or when the season is over, about how many viewers actually watch this program. And But again, I don't have any. Uh, there are other stars programs that I have Showbiz Daily data for. And this is this at least early on seemed to be doing on the low end of that. Um but I don't have data for any of those other stars programs as far as DVR or rerun viewership. So the comparisons aren't there for that, at least in the data that I have. Um, and of course people are watching this through streaming as people tend to do, tend to watch scripted pro. How are you watching this? Golo? Through stars Hulu? app, stars app, right? So you're not being recorded in the data that we're talking about, at least. I don't know if you are being recorded through or could be recorded through, through, through Nielsen. They're trying to, to cover everything now. Right. But, um, but we don't know what the streaming numbers are. Uh, internally stars would know though. I, I imagine they have access to their own analytics on their, on their own app. Right. But, uh, yeah, it's, um, it's doing something and it's, um, how many viewers this week, but it was under a hundred thousand, right? Live same day. Yeah. But yeah. in the end, the first episode had well over 600,000 between reruns and DVR. So if you compare that to like, that's like an NXT number. So I don't know. I don't know how to interpret all that, but that, that's what it is. 
if you if you add NXT DVR, I mean, you, you got to like put twenty percent on top of their live same day or something like that, probably. But I think you get the idea. We'll uh, we'll head back to uh, the WWE and uh, want to talk about Gabe Stevenson, the uh, Olympic uh, gold medal wrestler, uh, f- signing with WWE, and this is impressive because it's historic in the aspect of they're definitely utilizing the new NCAA rules. Uh, as far as being able to be a college athlete, but also receive money to be a brand ambassador, sponsor, commercials, all that, as he will be uh, wrestling this year for the University of Minnesota to try to win that national championship while being paid by WWE. Yeah, let's. Um, so before we talk about that, let's let's just play this Mick Foley clip that I have. This is this is not a new clip. This is from like over a week ago, I think. But Mick Foley put out this um, little over a minute clip where he's going on about how um, WWE, we have a problem. Hello, this is hardcore legend Mick Foley. I'd like to title this video WWE, we've got a problem because I think you do. And that problem is that WWE is no longer the place for talent to aspire to. Part of it is because AEW is doing a great job of attracting great talent, proven talent, building other talent, creating storylines, but part of it is a problem of your own making. I think younger talent sees the way that developmental characters are cut or left by the wayside, or in the case of Karrion Cross, greatly watered down and even made a joke of when they debut on the main roster. If it's not broke, don't fix it. Uh, if I was an aspiring talent now, big league talent with a major decision to make, I'm not sure that I would trust WWE Creative to do the right thing with my career. You guys did wonders with me uh, back in the day. But that was a different time, different place. If it was today, I'm not sure I would trust the powers to be uh, with my career in their hands. And until that changes, WWE, you've got a problem. Okay. Were, were you able to listen to that? A little bit. I mean, I get the theme of, yeah, you know. You get the idea. WWE's not the be-all, end-all for wrestlers to want to be at. So, and and I want to join in the context here. Uh, Vince's comment on July 31st, the most recent WWE earnings call, which was on Q2, where he says, and I don't, we're not going to play the clip, I'm just going to read what he said, that where, um, you know, I think the context was he was being asked about AEW, and this is the, the, the time where he says they're not competition in the way that WCW was. Of course, because Ted, Ted Turner was trying to get him. But he also mentioned sort of offhandedly, um, because I think the notion of Punk going to AEW was being brought up. And he says, I'm not so sure what their investments are as far as their talent. He's referring to AEW uh, as far as talent is concerned. But perhaps we can give them some more, which is a really... I feel sort of ridiculous that we're trying to unpack such a such a small sentence. This is not some grand statement or speech that he gave, but this is just one sentence, and we're trying to read quite a bit into this, right? But on the other hand, we get so little uh, in terms of what Vince really thinks. Um, he does he speaks publicly so little, um, but uh, is there in- insight we can get from this? And that what it, it's it's almost a doubling down. It's it, it along with some other moves that they've made recently hints to me that it's a doubling down. All the talent that they're cutting, cutting even people like Braun Strowman and Bray Wyatt. I'm not, I don't think Braun Strowman is going to AEW. I don't know if Bray Wyatt is or not. Um, and um, I'm thinking too about what Nick Khan said to Ariel Hawani about indie wrestlers, if you will, 
they're glad, glad if, if people move on, that's fine by them, which is, it's just great corporate speak, speak to make it sound like they're doing somebody a favor by cutting them. <laughs> but in some cases they are, right? Uh, as far as I think their careers go. Uh, maybe Ru- Ruby Soho now, she's known, is, is one of those who's basically said publicly that they're, that she's glad that she was cut. Um, I think what we're seeing happen is this, um, bifurcating, it's Chris Harrington word, bifurcating, uh, of two, maybe resting audiences, definitely two different creative visions of what their product is. WWE not even willing to accept that they're in the wrestling business. AEW embracing that they're in the wrestling business. And I think we're seeing certainly though, okay, yes, those visions are very different. They have different visions of, of what they do creatively. Um, and they have different visions of what talent they value. And they kind of already did in the first place. But I think we're seeing a doubling down on that in, in WWE's case. Maybe part of that is this sort of, um, you can't quit, you're fired kind of thing. Like, oh, you, you all these indie people are going to leave us and Adam Cole is going to pass us up. And um, CM Punk was not interested in dealing with us. Apparently, we had some discussions with him. He's not interested in dealing with us. And... Um, we couldn't, we couldn't get Brian Danielson to stay. Um, John Moxley wanted to leave a few years ago and he left. Um, wouldn't even look at his deal. Wouldn't even look at what the money was that we were offering him. And maybe it's just sort of Christian. You got to add Christian too. Sure. Not wanting to really pursue a deal with them, you know? And maybe it's just sort of like, I don't, I am starting to feel rejected. So rather than allow people to reject me, I'm going to preemptively reject them. Um, and I think we're seeing maybe the next step is we know we've got a, a fightful reporting, at least, that deals are coming up um, around the end of the year for three other wrestlers, Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn, and Johnny Gargano, um, who I would guess are not going to re-sign with this company when, when their deals are up. Uh, and these are, these are three wrestlers who were big-time indie wrestlers before they came to WWE. Um, and you combine that with, well, then, if not wrestlers, not people who have already been in the wrestling business and have already been, on some level, relatively speaking, successful wrestlers, then what kind of talent are they going to sign? And maybe it's more of the Gable Stevenson types. Not Gable Stevenson, maybe on the high end. I don't know how often you can sign a gold medalist. But um that seems to be their idea, right? And we see that, obviously, we see that in the repackaging of NXT, this NXT 2.0. Something that's not focusing so much. Now they just put the title on Tommaso Ciampa, who's who's a big indie wrestler. Um, but maybe that's that's part of a transition into a future of of WWE talent development. That's um that's more about people who have athletic backgrounds, perhaps. I mean, especially on the women's side, maybe they're fitness models, but not necessarily um, independent wrestlers. And I think I know Triple H. Um, and at the Las Vegas tryout said that um, it's not a negative if they have indie experience. I'm not so sure. And maybe I'm sure Triple H feels that way. It's evident over the last several years through what NXT has put out that, that Paul Levesque has a different creative vision for what, even on the widest scale, not just like this NXT niche as if it's this niche that can't have a wide appeal. It appears to me that Paul Levesque has a very different vision than Vince McMahon about what pro wrestling can be creatively. Um, and to Paul Levesque, I don't think it's a negative that you have independent wrestling experience. I think around 2014, he had a change of, of mind. At least he did, he, he did relative to what he was willing to say publicly. I think what, what he's willing to say publicly 
as much as anybody is not necessarily what he believes genuinely. And I don't know what, what he believes genuinely. I hope he writes an honest autobiography someday. So maybe we can find out. Um, but in the case of, um, Vince McMahon, I'm not sure if I, I know Vince is, is very much just not aware of what's going on in wrestling beyond his company. But I do wonder if when or if he learns that somebody has an independent wrestling background or has any sort of wrestling background outside of the company, whether that becomes a negative to him. Um, a not totally prohibitive negative, but a negative. Um, there are other things that can outweigh that. But um, I just look at people like like Tony Storm is now finally starting to get a shot on, on SmackDown, but she has sort of a start and stop after her debut. And she seems like the sort of star that they would want to push. Um, but she has indie, indie experience, and I wonder if that's a factor in why she was not pushed more consistently out the gate. Um, Damian Priest, they're pushing pretty hard. He's got a background in Ring of Honor. Maybe he's an exception, but thank God he's tall. Um, and I think they, they do, and this is one thing we can say in um, NW's favor here, uh, and I think they do value diversity of people from a variety of backgrounds. Um, that's something that AEW needs to work on and, uh, in terms of having stars who are not just white guys. As much as, you know, you, you, you've got CM Punk, that's a big deal. You got Brian, Brian Danielson and Adam Cole, and this is a huge deal for the company. But in the, in the future, I think they really have to look at building people from more diverse backgrounds. Um, I don't have like a ton of data to, to support this, but it is my, be my, my intuition, my hypothesis that there's, you know, there's a wide variety of people from different racial and ethnic backgrounds who are more ready to embrace WWE, who are not as ready to embrace in the same portion, proportionality that they're ready to embrace AEW. Just because AEW doesn't have as much racial and cultural diversity as WWE does, especially throughout the card. Um, but anyway, I, well, I guess what I'm getting to there is, you know, Damian Priest, I think they're more willing to push him too, because now maybe he appeals to Hispanic Americans too, or Hispanics generally throughout the globe. Um, but yeah, I think there is my, my point finally though, I guess is I think for Vince, it's, it's, it's along the lines of the things that we used to hear him say about people who have been in WCW, you know, and Goldberg was one of those. And obviously he's still working with Goldberg now at, at however old he is in his fifties. But there was, um, a, a, a belief among hardcore wrestling fans based on reporting for whatever it's worth that, that Vince was not as eager to embrace Goldberg, at least early on when he started working with him in 2003 or four, um, because he was, he was a creation of, of another company. He wasn't his creation, you know? And I think there's sort of a, sort of a parental kind of, well, you're not my kid favoritism or lack of favoritism, uh, towards the people who he sees as his creations and the people who he sees as having gained some notoriety, uh, outside of his world and creative world. Um, and that's totally unfair to the talent, you know, and it's unfair to WWE as a business. But uh, that's how it works in, in this company. All right. Uh, kind of moving on uh, to uh, some uh, Google web search uh, statistics that you have uh, found for us here, Brandon. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I put this in here because I thought it would be it would be a segue to something that I would, would talk about, but um, just showing the Google web search for W is down over the years. Uh, and we look, I'm looking at this in month over month comparisons and uh, it's continuing to trend, trend downward with, with August being at a relative value of 23. Whereas the year before in August, it was at a relative value of 27. Um, 
whereas uh, AEW had its biggest year for this is global worldwide web search uh, yet with a relative value of 76 compared to last year is at a 34. There is no month on the calendar in AEW's existence that was as big for them in terms of Google web search as was August 2021. Um, May not 2019, the month that they ran their first show, Double or Nothing, before they were on TNT, is the peak before the most recently finished month of August. Uh, it was at a relative value of 63, this, this most recent month again, at a relative value of 76. And, you know, you can imagine the reasons why. Um, CM Punk debuted All Out was in September, right? Uh, yes, Labor Day. It was se- September 5th, yeah. So, um, so whatever searches were immediately before and after All Out are not included in this. But it, but I, but there's this, the Punk story, and then the, I think there's a speculation that, that Brian Danielson would, would move over or whatever, right? Um but I see September being pretty strong for them too, but we'll see. I mean, Google web search is, is, is Google web search. It's not money, but it's, I think it's a representation of mindshare. It's a representation of what people are thinking about. Um, if you compare WWE to AEW though, remember the num- numbers that I just mentioned are relative values. Uh, WWE is still well ahead of, of AEW in worldwide web search, both in, t- in the U S and worldwide. Um, WWE, is that these are relative values, but these are now on the same scale. So these are comparable. Uh, worldwide, WB is at a 23. For the most recently completed month of August, WB is at a 23. AEW is at a 6. What's 23 divided by 6? Almost four times. So WB is still almost quadrupling AEW in terms of global web search. In the US, AEW is at 13. In the most recently completed month of August, and WWE is at 35. What's 35 divided by 13? It's about two and a half. So WWE, more than doubling AEW in the U.S. So, so the margin is closer in the U.S. than it is worldwide, which you can imagine. I mean, WWE's got this huge, as they say, this huge footprint all over the world. They're distributed in, in all these markets on television. And AEW is just at the beginning of that. And AEW has never had a show outside of the United States. WWE has decades of doing shows outside the United States. All right, uh, moving on to a, to a story that really has been gaining traction is the ticket sales uh, at the UBC Arena for both Monday Night Raw and AEW Dynamite and Rampage. As of right now, and our good friends at WrestleTix.com uh, have supported this or supplied this info, we have 2,365 tickets out for the November 29th Raw in comparison to 6,167 tickets out. For the Dynamite and Rampage on Wednesday, December eighth. Hmm. There, I, I understand. I haven't seen the, the tweets myself, but I understand there's there are people having feelings about this. Um, again, over six thousand tickets out for AEW. Gull has abandoned his post. I don't know where he went. I think he's going to the bathroom, or maybe he's quitting. Um, so the same building. I'll say the numbers again in a second. Same building, same venue. This is a new. Venue for the New York Islanders in Long Island. Um, Raw is November 29th. AW Dynamite and a Rampage taping same night is, where's the date? December 8th. So these are shows that are a little over a week apart. Uh, tickets for AEW did go on sale first by a few days. But now tickets have both been on sale for a number of days. I'm not sure what the on sale date was. Oh, on sale date for, for AEW is September 10th. So, the, so those tickets have been on sale for nine days now. 
the tickets for Raw have been on, on sale for a little less than nine days. But AEW's got over 6,000 tickets out for this venue. Raw, for the same venue, has got just over 2,300 tickets out for this venue. So uh, AEW's got more than double the number of tickets out at this point. I don't know, I'm sure the, the gap will be closed as time goes on. I think there's an urgency among AEW fans more so to get, get tickets early in the process. And I think there's less of an urgency among WWE ticket buyers to get those tickets early on. Chris Gold was back. He, he has returned. I don't know where he went. He just walked off the show, but he's back. I um, sent something in the chat. Oh, did you? <laughs> I don't have it. Open. Okay. <laughs> yes. Um, but I, I think the gap will be closed here as these dates draw nearer. But we might have our first instance of it, of an AEW show. And this is as comparable as it gets. Same, same venue. You know, AEW's been running a lot of sort of college sports venues, whereas WWE's been running, you know, the, the big professional sports venues. This is a professional sports venue. This is, this is the New York Islanders new, new arena. Um, and this is just over a week apart. So this is about as comparable as it gets. So we'll see what happens again. I think the gap will, will get narrower. Uh, and I, I imagine there'll be more ticket sales towards the end of this process for, for Raw than for AEW. But it doesn't look like, doesn't look that great for this comparison in terms of WWE. And, um, are there any other comparisons quite like this in terms of AEW and WWE having run in the same market up to this point? Um, there are, but there aren't great comparisons. What we've got is a lot of dynamite comparisons against, um, house shows. Which, by the way, all of which have in, in these comparisons, we got a W house show doing a higher attendance than a dynamite in Charlotte, in Milwaukee. Um, yeah, those two. So again, W house show in Charlotte outdrew a dynamite in Charlotte. W house show in Milwaukee outdrew a dynamite in Milwaukee. And then we've got, uh, some Raws and Smackdowns against dynamite. We've got, uh, Dallas, which is a similar market to Garland. They're about 20 minutes away. Uh, that was the first Raw was in Dallas, back on the road. That outdrew the Garland taping that Dynamite did uh, by by a few thousand. The first SmackDown was in Houston. Dynamite was also also ran in Houston early in the return to touring. Uh, this is the first SmackDown did did fourteen thousand tickets out sold out. Uh, that was a big deal. So more than what is that? That's more than quadrupling or more than tripling probably whatever uh, AEW did, which was forty five hundred. And then there's another Raw in Miami, and there has been a Dynamite in Miami. The, the Raw did 6,400, it's about 6,500, and the Dynamite did about 3,700. So the margins are all in W's favor up to this point. Um, yeah, I mean, some, some of these f- comparisons are advantageous to, to WWE, at least the first Raw and first SmackDown one are. But on the other hand, you've got house shows in Charlotte and Milwaukee that outdrew Dynamites in those same markets. So there's that. Um, and we, we have, uh, we do have numbers here as far as Raw, SmackDown, the Super Shows, and Dynamite with tickets distributed from really the beginning of, uh, allowing fans back in to the arenas to where we are at, we're at right now. If you want to kind of allude on that further. Yeah. It, I'm sort of surprised that there's only this few events. I'm missing all of July here for, for AEW for some reason. That's weird. Okay. But anyway, so I don't want to analyze the AW. The AW bar, bar graph appears to be growing, but for some reason I'm missing the July dates. Um, I guess I, I, I saw someone allude to the notion that, that 
or WWE ticket sales were softening. Now, obviously, in the case of, of Long Island, there's an unfavorable comparison there for, for, for Long Island, WWE versus AEW. But um, are we seeing ticket sales soften for WWE over time here and since the return to touring? Uh, not definitively. I've, I've got, so I've got Raw separated, I've got SmackDown separated, and I've got the Super Show separated. They're starting to do these sort of non-Super Show house shows as well, but we don't have enough of those to, for I, for I feel to be, to be worthwhile to put them in their own chart. Um, obviously the, the first Raws and the first SmackDowns did really well, did really strongly. Um, and it's been down from there, but they're still doing okay. I mean, they were just in, in Madison Square Garden, did 13,000, did a huge gate. Um, they just did Boston for Raw, over 8,000. 8, now, it's not knocking it out of the park, but that's pretty good. Um, we'll see what happens over time. Uh, obviously, um, different markets are going to perform differently. Um, Little Rock, Arkansas is not going to do as well as, um, as Boston, different, different sized markets. What will be interesting and, and where I think um, the data that we're getting from WrestleTix will become even more valuable is over time... WrestleTix is going to have is going to produce so much data. WrestleTix has only been doing this for you know since the return to touring. As as the data collects and builds up here, we've never had data like this to look at with with this much reliability, or at least not in a long time. Um, maybe since since Dave was reporting some what seemed to be really accurate numbers in the Observer. But but this is this is these are not ticket sales, but these are tickets distributed. So it's, it's giving us a really strongly correlated uh, set of data relative to what's being sold. Um, my point is what we're going to see over time is we're going to be able to look at when they come around the loop again, uh, uh, six months from now, a year from now, when they're in Houston again, when they're in Boston again, when they're in, in all these towns again, we'll be able to look at these market to market comparisons. Now, what we should keep in mind is that, uh, there is a seasonal effect to ticket sales, um, where we should at least expect one, uh, ticket sales at the end of the year. Around the holiday time, do really well. Uh, ticket sales in Q1, around the build to WrestleMania, roughly from from the Royal Rumble to, to WrestleMania time, those tickets tend to sell better. Um, so keeping those caveats in mind, we're going to have some really interesting comparisons to to look at over time, assuming WrestleTix continues to collect this data, which is this great service, and WrestleTix has a Patreon that, that people can sign up for to get this data in their inbox. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm fascinated to to look at this data as we go forward and see, you know, it won't be that informative to look at like Houston, which was the first SmackDown to the next time they go to Houston. I'm sure it'll be down or maybe you know, I imagine it'll be down. Uh, but to look at, you know, say if they do a, a raw um, in Boston again around the same time of the year, you know, is it is it up or down? That's that's a that's more of a like to like comparison when you can look at the same event type and if it's even in the same part of the year. That I think that will be quite meaningful, and like likewise for AEW too. Is is there the next? Obviously, they're going to Miami again already. They didn't do well in Miami, and they're going back there already. Um, but it'll be interesting to look at. It's 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 interesting how I got to put a, a dollar in the interesting jar. But it's Dynamite seems to be running a lot of the same markets. I, I mean, think about how many times they've run Chicago just, just in the last like month. <laughs> um, they're, they're running the New York area again with this Long Island show. Um, it's, it's not that far of a drive from, uh, the rock in Newark to the UBS arena to Arthur Ashe. Um, I'm sure the traffic is, traffic is terrible, but these aren't terribly far drives apart, right? So, um, and there's a lot of 
I mean, what, what would AEW even do on the West Coast? We have no idea. No idea. Um, what would AEW do in Toronto? Probably really well. Obviously, there's there's complications from COVID that might make that difficult right now. But And obviously, there's business for them to do in the UK and perhaps other markets. But those, those are probably the most immediate ones. All right. And then uh, moving on to our uh, final uh, story this week. Andrew Yang was back in the uh the public uh discussing WWE as uh, he had a tweet that said had a call with the Department of Labor if you are a current or former WWE performer who feels you are misclassified as an independent contractor contract um or contact and then he gave the name of the attorney and let's get you what Vince owes you uh been a long time coming and but this storyline is real and he had follow up comments so all you have to do is believe and then early returns are positive yeah, I, I wonder if he, uh, is that, is that an indication that like Bo Dallas is involved in this? Why would he use that phrase? I mean, here's a guy that was left home, on, uh, left off TV for two, two years, but couldn't work anywhere else and just had to collect his downside. And that was it. Sounds like a prime guy that would probably be upset that he couldn't find work elsewhere. <laughs> yeah, maybe. And he, is, he doesn't have a brother there, I guess, anymore or a dad there that are working there that he feels like he has to protect. I don't know. Um, I'm, I'm looking up the, the lawyer. Uh, so apparently I, I, I can't find the, uh, the original tweet here. Let's see this with his handles right here, though. L-K-M-I-D-D, right? This is apparently this Lucas Middlebrook is the lawyer who also represented Le- Leslie Smith, who was, uh, taking legal action after a UFC. You're familiar with that. Um, yeah, so I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how this goes. I mean, Andrew Yang had been calling out Vince months ago about uh, the notion that he was uh, going to uh, go after them over the independent contractor employee issue. Um, not a legal expert, certainly not a labor legal expert, um, but I think there's a strong argument that W wrestlers are misclassified. It's a classification that made a lot of sense in the '80s when there were territories and people would work for short terms in various territories and move on to the next one. Um, but I think WWE has a lot of control over there and exudes a lot of control over their wrestlers. Um, AEW, they're using independent, independent contractors too. Uh, some of them are in dual roles as employees. Uh, Andrew Yang has been positive on, for what it's worth, a- Andrew Yang has been positive toward AEW in, while being critical of, of WWE. But uh, AEW's got independent contractors, too. Now now many of them are in employee roles. Obviously, the, the executive vice presidents are in employee roles. Jericho is in some sort of consultant employee role. Uh, a lot of other wrestlers, I think, like um, Brandon Cutler is in an employee role. Maybe people like that. Um, maybe you could make an argument that AEW's exuding less control over their talent because they're not scripting them as heavily. AEW doesn't have a self-owned training center like WWE does. Um, again, not a legal expert, but maybe there's concern there too for AEW, but we'll see what happens. Also too, with AEW, it seems to be that their talent are allowed to pursue outside wrestling work as well. Yeah, but the majority of them as you see. Yeah. But if you look at the, look at a 10 factor test or a 20 factor test, that's the thing that everybody always brings up is the exclusivity factor. But, um, when I've talked to people who I believe know, uh, know better than I do about this stuff, that, that's not a huge issue for some reason. You would think it would be. Yeah. And yet, AEW wrestlers can, can work the indies and you never see W wrestlers allowed to do that. But, um, I've been 
told by people who I trust are smarter than me about this stuff, that that's not as big of a deal as you think it would be. It's the control that they have and the preponderance of control that they have in terms of, um, do they train you? Do they tell you what to do and where to be? How, to what degree do they tell you what to do? Do they hand you a script or do they just let you do your own thing? Um, yeah, we've, we've had discussions in the past on this, on this podcast that people may have remembered where we've gone through the 20 factor tests and sort of eyeballed it as, as far as, does that sound like a W wrestler or, or not, you know? And, and I, and I find that, you know, it's, if you go through a 20 factor test and remember the condition is not like you're exclusively contracted. The condition is my understanding is a condition. The condition is, is a preponderance of, of the, the 10 or the 20 factors, however you're measuring it. And when I sat down and in, with my layman brain, I've said, well, it, it, it sounds like a little bit more than half of the factors are, are weighed towards employee rather than independent contractors. It's not a super, super obvious case, but I think a reasonable person would conclude that, yeah, these are, these are employees more so than they are contractors. All right. Um, with that, that is the week in the business of professional wrestling. Uh, I'll, uh, I'll just start with my plugs. Of course, Chris Gello on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Uh, my other podcast, RTI Pod, will actually be recording part two of the NWA from 2007 to 2017, the NWA title, uh, this week. So look for that the week after as we'll be debuting that. And, uh, also always hit our social media for the This Day in Independent Wrestling History, where we give an independent wrestling history fact almost daily. Some days I missed, I'll be honest with you, but almost daily, uh, at RTI Pod on Twitter and, uh, rediscovering the Indies on Instagram and Facebook. You can subscribe to the WrestleNomics YouTube channel every Thursday. I think I've, I've done like five of these now, so this sounds like a habit now. I've, I've picked up the habit. Every Thursday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern, whatever that is in your time zone, you can Google it. 5.30 p.m. Eastern, every Thursday, live TV ratings talk. That's just after the AEW Dynamite number comes out. It's about an hour and a half later. AEW Dynamite number comes out about 4 p.m. Eastern. I do a live stream about 90 minutes later, once I've had a little bit of time to uh, put the numbers together. And we talk for, I don't know, 30 to 60 minutes about all of the, the numbers in a great deal of depth. And, and it's a video, so there's there's a lot of visual aids happening there. Um, and that, that's that been fun. Um, so you can go to the WrestleNomics YouTube channel and uh, subscribe. And you can get the notifications for when, when those streams are happening. You can subscribe to the WrestleNomics Patreon at patreon.com slash WrestleNomics for just $5 a month to get my... TV ratings reports nearly every weekday. You get access to the giant WrestleNomics viewership spreadsheet with its zillions, actually tens of thousands of data points. And plus there's other content, including the reports that I've been putting out every month about Google Trends. And uh, hey, this is the information that wrestling executives and leaders in wrestling media are uh, are subscribing to and relying on. So, So why wouldn't you too? You can follow me on Twitter, at WrestleNomics and at Brandon Thurston. What about you, Chris Gallo? Like I said, Chris Gallo on Twitter, uh, Instagram, and Facebook. Chris Gallo. I was able to get them all. You already said that, and here I am throwing to you yeah. to say something you already said. Sorry, double Any- plugs. <laughs> yes, anyway. Okay, that's all for, for today. Thanks to everybody for listening. Thanks to our subscribers. We'll talk to you next time. I'm Brandon Thurston. I'm Chris Gallo. See you later. See you later.